You're listening to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast with Karen McMahon. We invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and enable you to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. Even people not going through, you know, divorce and and separation, there's so many ups and downs. You know, it's like a roller coaster. You p- pick your cliche. You know, it's like riding an ocean. You know, but um, it does all work out mostly because what matters the most is how it's not where a kid goes to school. It's their work ethic, their drive, their ability to speak, you know, well with other people to speak persuasively It's life skills. And, um, so we spend a fair amount of time on that when we, um, work with students one-on-one, but what I just want to emphasize to everyone um, listening is that it's way more about that than whether you go to Harvard or to a community college. It's um, there's really no correlation between where you go and how successful you are, how much money you earn. There are unemployed idiots who go to Ivy League schools and there were geniuses who made, you know, billions of dollars who went to community colleges or no colleges at all. So just focus more on the character and the work ethic and all that. And everything else will fall into place Uh, And your kids will be successful because of that stuff, not because of their sheepskin. Embarking on the journey into the next chapter of your life after divorce is often met with a mixture of excitement and fear. Everything is affected. Transitioning home and career, managing your finances, parenting as a single mom or dad, and managing the emotions around step-parents in your children's lives. The world of online dating, reconnecting with who you want to be in this new chapter of life, and finding your passion, purpose, sensuality, sexuality, and so much more. Tune in as we speak to the experts in every area of post-divorce life and support you to enter and navigate it as an adventure with a growth mindset and a heart of possibility. Welcome back. Today we're talking about college planning, yet another alien world parents have to navigate. As many of our listeners are still deep in divorce negotiations or just emerging from them, it's understandable that you might have backshelved your college planning for now. There are so many time-sensitive issues to consider, and our hope is that today's episode informs you enough to choose what is urgent and worthy of your attention now. Today's guest is Andy Lockwood. And he shares his unique approach to college planning and walks us through the world of preparing for college. We discuss issues around best practices for assessing how and where to focus you and your college-bound child's energy, attention, and finances. And we touch on choosing what colleges to apply to, what to know about financial aid, and how the college application game works. Andy also shares divorce-specific information, such as the decision you make around which parent claims your child as a tax dependent and the impact that has on their financial aid possibilities. Andy Lockwood is a best-selling author, college advisor, and co-founder of 
Lockwood College Prep in Long Island, New York. He and his wife, Pearl, specialize in helping students get into competitive colleges and helping their parents pay wholesale prices. They created their proprietary backwards college advising program, P4, to help college-bound teens launch for success post-college. Pearl and Andy also host the College Planning Edge podcast on Apple Podcasts. I am so excited to have you here today. Welcome, Andy. Hi, great to be here. Andy, you know, I was thinking about our conversation and uh, when one is navigating divorce and certainly landing on the other side of it, the, the, the issue of college and planning and expenses is such an overwhelming chapter in and of itself, it makes sense that a lot of people might not have it front of mind, which is why I'm so glad you're here today to really walk us through, regardless of the age your child is, uh, to walk us through what what this entire uh, chapter is about and when parents should start thinking about it and how, those who have navigated divorce, how they may be impacted differently. So, so let's jump in with, uh, where do we start? So some of the people listening might even have grade school children. What do you tell people about, uh, how to look at college, upcoming college and when to begin thinking about it? So it's, it's a complicated thing, even if you're not going through a divorce or separation. So I can only imagine what it's like once you layer that extra, um, complexity, on, on top of it. Um, <clears throat> when people ask me when's the best time to start, you know, my flippant response is in utero, of course. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, is that I, I can talk to you today as we record this in 2021, tell you about how the rules are now and how they're expected to change in a couple of years, but they could change again. Uh, so my best advice now for anyone with kids, uh, you know, generally we start t- working with families and kids, <laughs> excuse me, um, it's usually you know, sometime after ninth grade, usually 10th or, or 11th grade. The important thing to understand in terms of, um, I guess, the topic of this discussion, college finance and you know, you know, getting funds for college, is that there's really um, a few different things to consider. One is that some colleges are a lot more generous than others. So um, you can do all sorts of stuff to position yourself to look great on paper for financial aid, which is what we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about here. But um, if you're only applying to schools that are stingy, then it's not going to benefit you at all. And, and you're going to be surprised uh, after the 11th hour, once the awards start coming back and, and you're wondering where's the beef or perhaps right. stronger language. Yeah. So that, that's one big thing. Um, the second big thing is that um, there's really a couple of different sources of college funding out there. So there's the need-based system, N-E-E-D, not K-N-E-E-D or J-N-E-A-D or something. Um, and then that's based on... <laughs> how much you appear, keyword, to need according to the financial aid formulas. And without getting too far into the weeds, um, they calculate how much you're expected to contribute. It's called an expected family contribution. Once you complete the main financial aid form, the FAFSA, um, and that factors in a whole bunch of stuff, which we'll talk about. The other source of, uh, the other big source of funding out there is merit aid which has nothing to do with your financial need and nothing to do with your income savings, et cetera. It's really more about how your child stacks up against the cohort that he or she's competing with. 
in, at that particular college, and it could be grades and SAT or ACT scores, um, which most colleges consider, but some are test optional. You know, another rabbit hole we could go down if you want to spend four hours on this interview. Um, and then the, um, I guess the final bucket, so to speak, to find money for college is actually um, not from the colleges themselves, but in the tax code. So we, we have a lot of clients who are business owners, uh, who are high income business owners who don't really qualify for any type of need-based aid, but there are um, tax strategies or, or ways to uncover money that's kind of buried in your business um, and, and free it uh, to pay for college with pre-tax dollars and, and things like that. So those are the three sources. So um, let me ask you this. Uh, this is a life after divorce series, but many people listening are still uh, in the thick of negotiating. So that last piece that you mentioned, if you were to advise somebody who hasn't yet completed their divorce settlement, uh, is there are there any points that you would raise that might help them in the Yes. And this is where it's going to get a little sticky because the rules are changing in a, in a number of areas. Um, so in January 2021, Congress passed the CARES Act, which is supposed to be for coronavirus relief. But then they shoved in all this other stuff, including financial aid rule reform. Um, so one of the goals was to simplify the process, which, of course, you know, the government's not great at doing stuff like that. So they made it more complicated in many, uh, many scenarios, including, in my opinion, for divorced and separated families. So that takes place in 2023. Again, this is 21. So if I were, if I were advising someone now, it would be on the basis of rules uh, today, which are as follows. The, the parent who applies for financial aid is, is referred to as the custodial parent. Mm-hmm. And um, for financial aid purposes, that's something different than whichever parent declares the child as a dependent on the tax returns. So, so uh, the, the custodial parent is defined as the parent that the child resides with the majority of time. So, so in many cases, it's the mom who is not declaring the kids as dependent, but she's still the custodial parent for financial aid purposes, and she'll qualify um, typically for a lot more um, financial aid because her income is lower in you know, a lot of cases. Um, once the rules change, the definition of custodial parent will be aligned with the IRS rules. So the parent who declares the child as a dependent will also be de facto the custodial parent. So, um, so part of the advice depends on you know when the divorce is happening, how old the kids are going to be, or what grades are going to be in college, and you know, that, that type of thing. Because it may be advantageous, you know, for one parent to be the custodial parent now, but not so much in two years. So, in terms in terms of this, like regardless of who the court deems as the custodial parent, am I understanding that in twenty twenty three, if this goes through, that the that the more the person who's claiming them as a dependent is going to be the one whose tax returns? Yeah, exactly. For the purpose. Right. Okay. So which makes sense from a, okay. you know, sort of a common sense standpoint, but it's going to, um, it's going to take away a lot of financial aid that, that, it's, that, that, that divorced families exactly. are getting now. Yeah. Right. So I think that's, that's the, that's the bottom line on this is should these go through and, and take effect in 2023? Uh, because I was in the situation you described, whereas dad, 
uh, claimed the child as a dependent. I had less income. I did the applying. The FAFSA was based on my income, so there might have been more financial aid. Um, so that's not going to be the case. So for those of you who, who are going through this, that's good to know. I mean, is there anything one could do other than know it? Um, so... <clears throat> So, so I feel like I'm, I'm trying to avoid going down too deep into the rabbit hole, right? Because uh, like you cautioned me, you know, simplicity is the, is, is right. the byword here. So um, I just have to say, because I did practice law for five years and I'm, I'm still in remission, um, I'm, I'm twitching because <laughs> because all this is like, this is a gross oversimplification, uh, but that but that's really all anyone can handle as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, so with that in mind... Um, about 400 colleges take an additional form called the CSS profile. And um, that's required mostly by colleges that have their own money. And they're not governed by the federal rules, which was the uh, uh, governed by the FAFSA, the, the free application for federal student aid, <clears throat> which is what I've talked about so far. Um, there's no expectation of changes happening to the CSS profile. So I think there's a whole set of colleges that are still going to care either only a little bit about the non-custodial parent, um, a, a, a portion of them do care about both parents, but I don't think that's going to change things that, that much. That's another factor, uh, you know, to, to figure out like where, and then this is, you know, a thing we go through with all of our clients is like, well, let's look at some of the schools that you're thinking about right now, even in ninth or 10th grade or what's realistic. Um, what are the requirements of those schools in terms of their financial aid process? And um, how can we plan accordingly? So, so it's more than just, you know, kind of knowing that the rules are happening. There are, there are ways to plan, but you've got to do, you know, probably uh, some thinking about four or five different factors um, just to get a sense of what's going to work best for you and what you should stay away from. Right. And so there's so much due diligence to do. And, and I, um, I remember being so overwhelmed with being a single parent, running my new business, and then having to step in. It's almost like divorce is a foreign land. College is a foreign land with a foreign language. And so um, we may be bouncing around a little bit here, but what what are the resources available to parents to begin to understand this whole world? I know it's a service you provide by all means speak to that. And then yeah. what else? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, that, that's one of the weird things about this um, topic is that unless you, you know, stumble across someone on the internet or on a podcast or something, it's, you're not necessarily going to hear um, more than just sort of rudimentary basics that you might get from a guidance counselor in high school or, a uh, a CPA because they're they're not neither, neither the guidance counselor nor the CPA is trained at all in the in the financial aid rules. And I would argue that most parents rely very heavily on that guidance counselor. That's their job in those last year or two. And and you're saying not not so. Uh, I'm saying they have, they have the expectation of that, but it's very unusual. And I'm not bashing guidance counselors anyway, but, but it's very unusual for guidance counselors to really understand. Um, these these types of nuances, especially because they change all the time, like we're like we're talking about. So um, I think one of the sources that I would would rely on to some extent, each college publishes a net price calculator on its website, which is designed to give you a, a ballpark um, estimate of what type of financial aid package you would receive if you were admitted to that or your child was admitted to that school. Um, one of the flaws with it, just to be fair, is that they don't, there's no uniform um, set of 
inputs that these calculators have. So some are more thorough than others, but they're, they're a good starting point. So I, I think that's, um, that's good. Um, there's something called, if you're really wonky and you, you know, you're a do-it-yourselfer, uh, there's something called the common data set, which publishes a ton of data that colleges self-report. So if you're interested in applying to a particular school like Syracuse University, you could Google Syracuse University common data set and somewhere on, I think it's like page 14 or something of all the spreadsheets that they uh, they spit out at you. There's information on generosity of the school, what the average award is, how long it takes to graduate. Well, that's a big, a big one, by the way, because that varies all over the place. Um, average non-need-based award. Um, and one of my favorite ones, for lack of a better phrase, is the average award given to freshmen and the average award given to all undergrads. And the reason that's important, which you might be able to guess, is that if there's a wide discrepancy, if the average award for all um, undergrads is much lower than the average freshman award, then you might be suspicious that that, that college front loads their offers to sort of bait and switch you to, to come there. And then you're there and your chances of leaving are less and you're going to get less. Yeah, even in a non-divorce situation, the emotions of, you know, wanting to keep a kid there and keep them happy. And, you know, they, they finally, you know, in normal non-pandemic times, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, having fun and uh, able to move around and, you know, meet people and all that. But um, when you layer in, um, you know, whatever the pandemic is going to look like, you know, in the future, plus all the um, emotional baggage from, you know, fighting parents or divorcing or separating parents, it, it even it's even harder to, um, you know, pull a kid out of a, of a place where they're happy. Right. right. So, and that's not something that I think many of us would even think about. If you're negotiating that first year, you're assuming you're making an assumption that if my child maintains um, their caliber of, of student being a student that the money might maintain, but not so much. Yeah. So definitely something to look out for. It's uh, one of the dirty little secrets about the college biz. We have a special gift for you. Whether you're still emotionally entangled with your ex or not, imagining and creating your life after divorce can feel surreal for some terrifying for others. Fears and limiting beliefs around financial security, building new friendships, health and fitness, and even finding healthy love can interfere with your ability to create the life you desire. Journey Beyond Divorce coaches can help you get clear on what you want and the obstacles that are keeping you stuck and guide you in manifesting your ideal life. We're here to help you enter this new chapter with more confidence and enthusiasm with a free jumpstart call. Visit journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash jumpstart to book your call today. So, so you talked about um, you talked about uh, a couple of different funding mechanisms. We touched on FAPSI. You mentioned the other one. Uh, what would be the next? What's the next key thing that we want to share with our? Um, so, I want to reiterate that some schools are a lot more generous than others. Um, so, so that you can also research that on the uh, via the resources I gave before the common data set and the net price calculators. And I think it's also important to, to point out, which surprises a lot of people, 
that um, frequently colleges will negotiate. They'll they'll give you an award, but that's only an offer. It's not a final award. So um, so when they give you a financial aid award, it's based on the data that you've already provided them. You know, stuff that goes in the proverbial boxes of whatever financial aid applications you've had to fill out, TAFSA, CSS profile, um, etc. Um, however, there's a lot of information that does not go in the boxes that could be important. So, for example, um, expenses are not part of the financial aid formulas. That means cost of living expenses, but it could also mean unusual expenses. So if you are going through divorce and you have you know, a, a ton of legal expenses. See, that's why I was nervous about mentioning I was an attorney before because I, I, you know, everyone hates attorneys, particularly if you're getting divorced. <laughs> but but um, I guess the cat's out of the bag. So, so, um, um, so what you can do in, in an appeal, and virtually every school allows you to do this, is to say like, look, um, you don't have the whole story because um, my circumstances, my special circumstances um, do not, uh, do not fit in the uh, financial aid forms. Um, so we have these unusual expenses. We spent $150,000, you know, including our child's 529 college savings accounts, et cetera, on legal fees. So that's, that's one example of appeal. And there's many others, you know, so um, I wrote a lot of appeals this past year for people who, um, when they fill out their financial aid applications for kids graduating 2021, every financial aid application is based on the income from two years prior. So it's 2019. <clears throat> um, a lot of people had a big drop in income because of coronavirus um, since 2019. So, so I made a lot of arguments along the lines of, look, uh, I know we looked one way income wise on paper two years ago, but the reality since then is far less rosy. Can you please reassess us based on, you know, the new, current reality you know, my business, you know, I lost 50% of my business or I got laid off or, you know, to find another job or, you know, that, that type of thing. That's all relevant. Um, and part of the, the circle, the special circumstances that admissions, I'm sorry, financial aid officers have, um, what they call professional judgment to be able to consider, but they, they wouldn't know about that unless you raise those issues on the appeal. So when you get that first offer, first offer is not necessarily a last offer, and there's definitely some some effort that could be put into seeing what else the college will do. Exactly. It's it's not the highest and best offer frequently. Um, I do a lot of appeals. I don't succeed, uh, you know, hundred percent of the time, but sometimes we get crazy results. I mean, occasionally it's another couple thousand bucks here and there, maybe another $10,000, but that could be 10,000 a year. So it could be a $40,000 swing. Uh, we had a family last year who got an extra $38,000, um, after we struck out three times in a row from the same school, but we just, you know, they, and, and I were just persistent and it paid off. So yeah, you should never wow. give up. Yeah, and I, and it's such a great piece of information. People just wouldn't know, you know. You just would. What? How would you know that? So, so if you're in that part of the process, or when you're in that part of the process, um, being uh, tenacious sounds like a, a worthy, you know, a worthy uh, action. Yeah, that uh, that yeah, you, you definitely can't give up. So tenacious, perseverant, etc. Um, if you if that's uh, if, if you haven't yet finalized your list of schools. Another great strategy is to have colleges that comp compete with each other so that you can play the awards off against each other. So you go to one school and say, look, you're my top choice school. Obviously, you say this in good faith. 
um, <clears throat> you're, you're my top choice school. Um, however, uh, we got a much better offer from, you know, sc school Y over here. If there's, if there's any way that you could meet or possibly even exceed that offer, then we're ready to rush in our housing deposit and commit right away. This sounds like a full-time job. Anyway. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it, it, I mean, we haven't even talked about like the, 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 uh, I remember the essay my kids had to sit down and write it. Yeah. Like there's a whole, so can, can we just take a step back and, I know we're talking mostly about finances, but, yeah. but this is a very big job. And uh, as a parent who has some um, parent plus loans, it's a very expensive part of life right after you've emerged from divorce. So let's just talk a little bit about all that it encompasses. And uh, I invested in a college coach and it was some of the best money I spent when I didn't feel like I had money to spend. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about the bigger picture and then maybe share a little bit about what people like yourself do? Yeah, of course. Um, so, so my big picture is probably different than most other college advisors and definitely different than um, other guidance counselors, because I, I look at this process as being, um, as having far too much emphasis on, you know, applying to college or getting into a good school or taking the SAT 15 times or, you know, essays, you know, all this type of stuff. And that's all important, but those are sort of lower level, you know, kind of tactical things. And, and to me, that's, that's about as silly as, as if someone were just to focus all their time, money, emotional energy, uh, what have you on, you know, rushing to the airport, but had no idea where the flight was going. So, um, so for me and our firm, which, which, you know, we're different. It doesn't mean we're right for everyone, by the way. Those are two separate things. But um, we, we, we actually look at, uh, the first thing we do with, with kids is try to sit down and uncover how they're wired. So we actually have a career counselor who's a former college admissions officer who's um, been with us about six years. And um, she uh, gives each student a, um, uh, an assessment to uncover their wiring. And then she pulls research from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and other information to um, to look at careers that um, uh, the people with the exact same wiring report very high levels of job satisfaction at, and we look at you know average starting salaries and job uh, growth pro you know, prospects for that industry that type of thing. That's really the first thing because it's so easy to go to college and switch majors two or three times, and you wake up and you're on the seven year or the six year plan at seventy thousand dollars a year. Or uh, even worse, you get out of college with a degree that is not going to get you a job anywhere other than like Chipotle or Starbucks or something. Um, nothing against those dining establishments, but uh, you know, after three hundred thousand dollars of college <laughs> tuition, um, you might smart a little bit. So, so what we try to do is to have a game plan of you know, maybe four or five different majors and careers that match up with each kid's uh, wiring. That, that's the first step. So let me let me slow you down there because I'm just thinking you're talking to like 10th and 11th graders. Yeah. Of course, you know, we always talk about how their frontal lobe isn't fully connected yet, how yeah. they, they're so young to be making those kinds of choices. So yeah. the first thing I want to say is I love how scientific your approach is. How does that, just out of curiosity, how does that play out with these um, teenagers and uh and, and them aligning with that plan. So um, <clears throat> what, what I've understood over the years um, from, from our career counselor is that our wiring is pretty much set in middle school, uh, that, you know, the, not, not, which is a different 
um, proposition than knowing exactly what you want to do with the next 40 to 50 years of your life. Two, two totally different things because kids don't even know the right questions to ask themselves. So they can't ask the question, what do you want to do without, you know, knowing what people do all day in certain jobs. So what we typically hear are things like, oh, she should be an attorney because, you know, she loves to argue. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's actually probably the worst thing she should, she should be, she should do because, you know, most attorneys, the best ones find consensus. You know, they don't, they're not adversarial. So, um, so yeah, like you said, it's a scientific or at least quasi scientific. It's a, a non-anecdotal way to kind of back into careers by comparing yourself objectively to 3.8 million other people who've done this particular assessment. Um, and that is, you know, literally over the six plus years that we've been offering this, I think maybe three or four kids have said, wow, that really wasn't, I didn't feel like that was accurate. And I think half of them I didn't agree with. Um, virtually everyone else, including all four of my kids that have gone through this, um, and me and my wife, because we did this ourselves before we brought this into our practice, um, we, th we thought it was spooky, you know, kind of eerie, eerily accurate. Although, to be fair, I don't think that's necessarily the value. It's almost like a parlor trick. To, to me, the value is then taking that information and matching the patterns with other people who have the same patterns who report very high levels of job satisfaction. And it gives you a shot. You know, it gives you a leg up. It gives you more of an understanding of, you know, why, not just what, but why certain careers might be better, what to avoid. That's also um, a big thing. So, like I said, this is not right for everyone. A lot of kids, you know, they don't really see the value in doing this. Um, but, but our clients, you know, who do it, think it's probably the most valuable thing, ironically, even though they never come to us for this, <laughs> but, uh, I agree. I think it's actually very, very valuable and it kind of drives the whole process for us. So, so the first step of the process, thank you for that is, is doing this assessment and then where do you go from there? So, yeah, so we call it the four P's plan, path, position, produce. And again, this is just the way we do it. You don't have to do it this way. Um, so plan means backward planning. It means that uh, part that I just described. Um, path means backing into a set of colleges that is reputable, reputable across as much of that cluster as possible of you know majors and careers, as well as you know small, medium, large, East Coast, West Coast, all the other things that you know I guess more traditional uh, factors that are considered you know for college. Um, do you like the mascot? Do you look good in the, the hoodie with the colors? You know, all, all the important things. Um, and then the uh, the third pro, and these are sort of overlapping. They're not linear. And the third um, component, uh, the third piece is position. And that's, um, it's really an advertising and marketing term, you know? So, you know, you, you do a great job marketing uh, your, your podcast and your business and all that. Um, what I always think of is the old, uh, Avis Renicar slogan, we're number two, we try harder as the greatest example of positioning because I actually had the good fortune to um, be a, a bartender in the Four Seasons Hotel in Boston where I, where I met the um, founder of Avis who would come down with his wife, Avis, uh, once a week and we would overpour martinis. They would overtip us. And, um, and I asked him, I once had the guts to, you know, they asked him, I said, I know nothing about advertising, but I didn't really understand. I think it's the greatest slogan. You know, can you tell me about it? And he said, well, our ad guys knew that Hertz, you know, we couldn't touch Hertz because they were this huge behemoth, but they also said, well, why don't we try to turn that into uh, an advantage? It's not a disadvantage. And they positioned Avis as this scrappy upstart. You know, we can't afford to have dirty ashtrays. We can't afford to keep you on hold, you know, that type of thing. And, and um, when you're applying to college, it's, it's very similar because you could be applying to, if you're applying to a big state school, there could be 90,000 other kids 
who have the, virtually the same grades, the same SAT or ACT scores, and look basically the same on paper. But the question you have to answer is, well, why should we take you compared to these other 90,000, 50,000, you know, whatever other applicants? How, how are you going to position yourself? So we spend a lot of time on that um, in, you know, with our students one-on-one -on -one because that can manifest itself in all the extracurricular activities in school, the activities out of school, what you do over the summer, all these things that I referred to before sort of, you know, in, in passing is your body of work. That that's all part of positioning and standing out. So that's that's the third part. And the fourth part, um, the fourth P is produce, and that just means finding the money, which is where we started our discussion. Right, right. So again, I just I go back to wow, that's that's a that's a full-time job. And for um, and for the the single parent, I mean it's a full-time job, even if you're you're married, it's just overwhelming. But for the single parent, so I had never heard about people who did what you do, and we're, we have a lot of people listening from all around the country. Uh, what um, can you? We're going to give your information, but can you also suggest, like, what are if you were in the market to have someone help you um, with your upcoming students who are going to be heading to college? What would you be looking for? Probably not the photoshopping and um, bribing and hiring tutors to take tests for me. I'd probably stay away from that. That's my recommendation. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Now that we got yeah. that base. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have very low standards and as a college advisor. That's just my industry. Um, no, I, I think, you know, uh, on some level, of course, it's you know, basic competence, but I think that's, I think most college advisors have that. Um, I, I think you want to be on, I would want to be on the same page to make sure that um, I felt like they really um, got my kid or were able to um, kind of say the same thing as a parent, um, but the kid will listen to the college advisor because they don't have all the emotional baggage of, of being the uh, the mom or the dad. I think that's important. Um, and then it's, it's like a, a, a philosophy thing. You know, I, I am um, very much against and I said this, I know a couple of times before I'm not, I know I'm not right for any, everyone on a few different levels. One is I just have to be very obnoxious and, and blunt and all that. And some people like that. A lot of people don't. So personality clash, you know, is, is something I'd always want to look out for. Um, philosophically speaking, I'm not one of these guys who will, um, I'm, I'm a coach. I'm not a cheerleader. So I'm not one of these guys who, if a kid doesn't do a draft of an essay, you know, when they said they were going to do it, I'm not going to sort of pat them on the head and say, Hey, it's okay. You know, don't worry about it, buddy. It's more like, dude, you know, what's going on? I mean, we got to, you know, we have a lot of work to do. Like, you know, so I'll, I'll give them a little you know, crap about it. And we don't write essays for people, you know, so, uh, you know they're, they're, but there are plenty of people who do that type of thing. We're more handholding. So if, um, it, it, so it's, it's understanding your kid and what they need um, and how that's a good fit you know, with, with the college advisor. And like I said, personally, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a, you know, I played sports all my life. I played college basketball. I'm more of a coach. And sometimes that comes across as, you know, being a hard ass. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I think that's important having a personality fit other than the basic competence. And I guess also understanding, you know, philosophically, like not everyone agrees with me that a lot of this is about not, your, not, not your merits, you know, it's not a meritocracy only to get into college. It's how you market yourself. So that whole thing about positioning, the whole, um, all that stuff I said about, you know, backward planning and all that. Um, like I said, some kids, I can explain that to them and they're like, uh, yeah, I, I just want to go to Michigan. 
you know, which is fine, but they may not be a good fit for us. So a lot of it's about, you know, whether you, you're in alignment with the overall style and the suite of services. So, so as, as we begin to like, kind of like summarize this on the one hand, there's the financial, there's the money that the college gives you and the fact that they will negotiate. There's the money that you'll get from FAFSA. Uh, there are the changes in the law that you have to be aware of and the current law that you have to be aware of that can help you. And there was one more on the financial front that I'm not summarizing. We talked about merit aid. Um, merit aid. Yeah. And the merit aid, is more about what your child is bringing to the table, right? Their, their grades, their extracurricular, their circumstances as well. Is that part of Meridane? Yeah, um, it's, it's like an umbrella sort of catch-all term. That means whatever college wants it to in terms of how you know, our kids stack up compared to their competition. And then there's the preparation. So, you know, it's like there's so much going on, but if you're if you have a, a student who's in the ninth or 10th grade and you haven't been thinking about this, it sounds like your advice is start paying attention, start doing some research, um, listen to this podcast, be, begin to have some conversations with your child and also maybe with your ex and taking a look at your finances and is, is that pretty fair? Yeah, that's fair. The only thing I'd add is, um, and we, I guess we talked about this off the air, is that, um, that that's definitely not a commercial for hiring me or any college advisor at that stage. Um, even though we do have some people that start with us then, I think a lot of kids aren't ready to take that advice. So, yeah. so it's a waste of money. So, but you, that doesn't mean you're relieved from, like you said, uh, thinking about it, planning and doing your research and you know finding resources like this podcast and things like that, just, just so you can... Um, open your eyes because what happens with a lot of uh, families is that they don't know any of this stuff until they have their initial meeting with their guidance counselor in high school. And that's usually the second half of 11th grade. And by then you learn, Oh my God, I wish I had met with you before we started ninth grade, because a lot of the stuff, you know, I would have, maybe I would have taken more AP classes or I would have, um, you know, gone for more leadership positions in clubs, or maybe I would have started my own club or, or you know, something like that. Like a, a lot of times there, there's all these unforced errors because uh, they start, parents start too late and they don't know what they don't know. So in order to not be behind the eight ball, to really start doing the research now, talking to your children now, even talking to the guidance counselor, anything that gives you more information. And then timing wise, I'm, I'm trying to remember when I did, uh, in terms of when kids typically, uh, would engage with you or or a college coach what's the typical timing is it is it the beginning of 11th grade is it 10th grade is it that range yeah i don't know if typical is the right word but um we, we certainly get a lot of people who wake up in 11th grade or right or right before 11th grade but like i said also we, we have a fair amount of people who start in ninth or, or even eighth grades so um it's it's not they're, they're, you know, it's whenever a family is ready um is, is my sort of well, wishy-washy cop-out answer, but the earlier, the better. Yeah, and, sorry to interrupt right. you. One, one thing I was going to say is that um, this might be a good thing to do. Talk to any parent who's already gone through the process for the first time and ask them if they wish they had started earlier. And um, I'd be shocked if any of them said, no, we, you know, we started at the right time. 
Yeah, no, I would say I wished I started earlier. And so I think that that's, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Andy. I think that, you know, here we are, we're doing this huge series on life after divorce, and there's so many moving pieces, and life is changing in so many ways. And of course, you know, our kids are going to be central in all the decisions we make. And so for people, for our listeners to understand the complexities of it, uh, what a college coach brings to the table, um, and uh, and the financial planning and other planning that's needed. This has been really, really helpful. Oh, good. I, ho- I hope so. Thanks for having me. So how can our listeners um, find you uh, if they want to reach out and find out more about your, your services? Uh, I'll do two things. One, I'll get my website, which is Lockwood College Prep. Dot com. I'll also, if it's okay with you all, for your, for your listeners, I'll, I'll give away a copy of my um, my latest book, which is on negotiating, which, which we talked about. It's called How to Negotiate Your Crappy Financial Aid and Merit Aid Offer. So um, uh, can I give you a link to it and you can put it in the, uh, the show notes? Absolutely. Tell, tell our audience out loud and then we'll, um, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, collegenegotiationbook.com. Beautiful. And we'll ha- you'll find that in the show notes as well. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? Um, you can email me too, if you want. Uh, the, uh, the firm email is VIP at LockwoodCollegePrep.com. Um, in terms of, I guess, final tips, um, <clears throat> even for people not going through, you know, divorce and, and separation, there's so many ups and downs and, um, you know, it's like a roller coaster. You p- pick your cliche, you know, it's like riding an ocean, you know, but um, it does all work out mostly because what matters the most is how um, it's not where a kid goes to school. It's their work ethic, their drive, their ability to speak, you know, well with other people to speak persuasively it's life skills. And um, so we spend a fair amount of time on that when we, um, work with students one-on-one, but what I just want to emphasize to everyone um, listening is that it's way more about that than whether you go to Harvard or to a community college. It's um, There's really no correlation between where you go and how successful you are, how much money you earn. There are unemployed idiots who go to Ivy League schools and there are geniuses who made you know billions of dollars who went to community colleges or no colleges at all. So just focus more on the character and the work ethic and all that, and everything else will fall into place uh, and your kids will be successful because of that stuff, not because of their sheepskin. Well, Andy, I think that's like one of the best final tips I've ever had on on this uh, podcast. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Check out Andy Lockwood and his um, and his organization if you're interested. Do that research. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your time with us. Yeah, I love being here. Thank you for inviting me. And we will be back again with another episode of Life After Divorce soon. See you then. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.